Hey guys, welcome to the audio version of the We Transform show. If you wish to see the video of this episode, do click the YouTube link in the description here. Stories are a transportation device, and uh, we all use that transportation device to paint a picture of a world that hasn't been created yet. Sometimes we paint a picture of a world that was. so that we can tell our customers and people how we have progressed and how much things have changed over a period of time and what are we doing sitting here talking to each other we are transporting each other into each other's lives yes. in time and space and uh, that's what stories help us do they just help us transport into different zones different spaces and different times So guys welcome to the We Transform show a show where we bring real life transformers and know their story get inspired and learn something from them Today our guest is Tanya Bhattacharya Tanya is a wizard of stories she has facilitation experience of more than 18 years she has worked with two major corporations during her career as an L&D resource managing sizable teams spread across India She currently facilitates workshops and coaches people managers and individual contributors. She enables them to tell a better version of their work story, data story, product and service story, personal branding stories and innovation pitch stories. Wow. She believes that great stories happen to those who can tell them. She's committed to helping leaders inspire their teams by using authentic stories and captivating narratives. Tanya works very closely with not just corporates but also with social sector organizations and startups. It's because she feels that everyone has a story to tell. This makes her very important guest for our show because our show is all about telling the stories that inspire. Please welcome Tanya Bhattacharya. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you Alok it's so good to be here thank you for inviting Thanks a lot for joining Tanya and I'm, it's a very special day for me I will tell you why because you know uh, I really wanted to invite you on this show when I was making my first list couple of weeks back to the people who should be on my show and here is the reason the reason is Tanya is the inspiration behind me creating videos on LinkedIn guys So this is how it happens. Happened uh, when um, the lockdown happened. I guess in the month of March, uh, Tanya, you did some eleven days or twenty-one days storytelling thing. Every day used to come with a story. That was the first time I saw somebody coming into uh, LinkedIn telling a story, which was very, very captivating and inspiring, and giving a nice learning at the end. And uh, you, she was doing it every other day. uh the best part which i really loved about that phase of your storytelling was it was different and why because it had no introduction it had no closing you were never asking for people to follow like and share uh you were just coming and telling the story and tells a lot about you as a person i felt this person is so passionate about stories the whole video is about story that was like my first uh, you know uh, inspiration that i should create videos as well so just to start thank you so much tanya for inspiring me to create videos because it made a lot of difference 
Oh, thank you so much. And it's very heartwarming to receive first-hand feedback. Of course, a lot of people uh, wrote good things. They, uh, they sometimes pinged that they were enjoying the stories. But uh, I'm happy that I was instrumental in inspiring you. And I have seen the stories that you did on LinkedIn after that. And it, it's been a pleasure watching you do the good work that you do, Alok. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. In fact, yes, it is, it is very mutual. We all get inspired by each other. But yeah, I started from, uh, you know, watching you doing the stories and, you know, I, I really saw different kind categories. There was a two, there were stories from Middle East. There used to be stories of animals. There used to be, a, I have to know a lot from you. But before I get to that section, I want to know from you, uh, let's, let's get started with your story. Tanya, how your story started? Uh, I guess it must have started when I was born. But of course, you barely remember things uh, yeah. of the past much. I think I have been very lucky in uh, in having parents and uh, siblings and other extended family members who were all storytellers, extremely animated storytellers. In fact, I remember growing up in a household where uh, over the weekend, post-dinner, family would gather together mm -hmm. and in the living room, uh, sitting on the floor on mats, mattresses, on sofas and just sharing a lot about their travel experiences and you know how typical Indian households are when one person tells a story the other person has a similar story to tell <laughs> and just have a slightly uh, different flavoring to it yeah. and uh, as we call the name Hindi milte julte kisse which means similar stories or narratives so that's the kind of household that I've grown in. So and uh, everything that people you know would would tell me about you know how our childhood was. We would hear about our uh, family members, extended families' childhood. So I think it's no surprise at all that I ended up becoming a storyteller over a period of time. But I still feel that it happened too late. I could have started way earlier, considering okay. the, the beginning of that. Wow, that's that's beautiful. In fact, you know, we all somewhere have been a part of story, have been listening to stories in families. My family, I remember in early days, the stories were a lot around ghosts because they used to love it. Uh, everybody had a ghost story to tell, do not believe it, you know. And I remember a phase of my life when everybody had one story. I said, how can, how is it possible that everybody in my family has seen ghosts? Otherwise, what about other people? They don't talk about these stories often. So, you know, it's like, again, Milti uh, Julti Kahaniya keeps happening. You know, you tell a story and people um, get another story which is very similar. So that's a very, very be beautiful start. I guess, Tanya, you started as a trainer and a facilitator. And I think you have a very significant experience in facilitation. The facilitation has been very close to my heart because this is how I started nine years back from a sales job to facilitation. Uh, but yeah, so what has been that part, uh, the training part to facilitation? And I want to know the transformation that you realize how stories would be your future. So, um, because we are talking about transformations and the trigger points where things changed for us, uh, mm -hmm. I think even training happened quite incidentally. So it okay. wasn't part of the plan. Mm. Uh, I started my career with the BPO and I was part of the sales process, selling credit cards over the phone. But I wasn't very good at selling. In fact, I was much better at coaching my peers and the new people on the floor, per se, okay. on how to sell without really being 
very high sales myself mm -hmm. and that is the most intriguing part because I think uh, I did coach well and I had completed about a year uh, mm -hmm. as you know as, a, as as an agent on calls okay. uh, when I applied for um, you know for an internal job posting got selected and was made the team leader for the uh, for the nesting team which is people who immediately come to the floor and they have to spend about 45 days to two mm -hmm. months you know like doing a jacking budding and understanding the pro process better and that's when I realized that I could do better when it came to explaining or deconstructing ideas and thoughts. Mm -hmm. But I was looking for an opportunity outside. I think I burnt enough bridges within the organization with the training team, with all the pushbacks that I did and all the complaints that I lodged. You didn't cover this aspect in training. You should have done it. I don't think I had a scope or I would have been welcomed in the training team within the company mm -hmm. is when I moved out and I joined a training firm. Uh, so essentially it was one year plus four, five or six months of mm -hmm. uh, on you know, on-the-shop on floor kind of experience and training happened afterwards. And um, I, I started enjoying it quite a bit. Of course, storytelling was a completely different ball game. So uh, I'll stop you here. I guess the first one, uh, which the first job which you started was with Wipro Spectra Mine, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something interesting because I started there from there as well. I was in Wipro Spectra Mine and uh, I joined in 2004. I guess that's the same time when you actually left and you went into a learning or training company and then you came back as a team leader. So what happened after that? How you transitioned into facilitation after this? So uh, because I joined a training company called Evolve, mm -hmm. uh, which later got taken over by NIIT, okay. much later though. Uh, but my stint with Evolve was fascinating because it wasn't just one company that I was working with because they were, uh, you know, training providers and mm -hmm. you know, they provided to different organizations so I think I got, a, uh, got an amazing kind of experience in fact I remember the first time I had to travel when I joined Evolve was to Bangalore and incidentally I live here now I've been here four years mm -hmm. and um, uh, my mom was completely against me traveling and uh, so far it was difficult enough for her to come to terms with me doing night shifts in a call center. And when I said I dropped the bomb, I had to travel to Bangalore for two months on an assignment. She mm. lost it and she said, you're not doing But I think um, the one person who's been extremely instrumental in propelling me forward and encouraging me to try new things, my dad. And he said, don't stop her at all. This is when she's going to live her life. She's going to experience. She's going to grow as a person. And he said, you should go have fun. He told me places to go shop. He told me about places where I could go drinking once I have friends in Bangalore. Okay. So that was an interesting bit. Got a lot of exposure because mm. of that. And got thrown in straight facilitation. But we had very good, uh, uh, you know, train the trainer program and a very grilling one, in fact, for over okay. a month or so. And every other teach back sessions and the CEO and the COO would mm -hmm. sit for our teach back sessions. And I think uh, once the, you know, when, when you're planting a seed 
And if you do good with that, and mm. you, uh, you know, when as to how much shade and how much sun does it need, the plant that comes out is so much better. And I think yes. that the same thing goes for us as professionals professionals if in the beginning when we start to do something new if we get that kind of nourishment and um, the right amount of uh, sun and shade uh, being protected cajoled and uh, molly coddled plus the harshness of it if you're not doing things right yeah that really sets the course as to how good you turn out to be and i owe a lot to our you know uh, our coaches and our master trainers who trained us. Wow, fantastic. And then that, that, that's quite, quite a learning. If you go through this kind of phase of learning, you really develop uh, into a very finer person and uh, that, that really helps. So if I may ask Tanya, because we're talking about transformations here and you have been through different stages of your life here uh, from training to facilitation, then to storytelling. What has been the biggest moment of transformation for you? So, uh, interestingly, the biggest moment of transformation for me uh, wasn't so much in my, my career, mm -hmm. but a little before that. And this is the time when I wrote my 12th board exams. And I, uh, and so my, I think English was my last paper. Mm -hmm. And I asked my dad for 100 bucks. And I said, can you give me 100 rupees? Because there was a plan of all the friends hanging out uh, in one of the you know, fast food joints in Noida to go have burgers, Pepsi or something. And 100 bucks was ample back then, almost, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, 23 years ago. And um, my dad said, uh, you think that money grows on trees and you just spat out, give me 100 bucks and I should give it to you. Uh -huh. And I think I was deeply offended when he offered 50 bucks to me. I didn't take it. I said, I don't need your money. You can keep your money to yourself. Okay. And uh, I was very uh, egoistic you know, full of pride, uh, self-respect, whatever you want to call it. The mm -hmm. exam got over my face insisted that I go out with them. They're the ones who funded my burger. I got it into my head that I'm going to work because I realized that people working in a fast food joint mm -hmm. um, were as old as I was back then. So I tried my luck and uh, I did get a job. And so I, I actually uh, closed an interview right there. I spoke to the manager. Uh, he wow. interviewed me. He said, but you know, but, but you're still too young. Go home, take permission. You're still in your school uniform. Don't you want to enjoy your time after your board exams? And I said, no, I want to earn. I want to show to my dad that I can earn money. I went back home. Dad obviously wasn't back from work yet. Mm -hmm. I went back to the place in a Delhi Transport Corporation bus, the DTC bus with my mm -hmm. sister. Manager again, I said, I got my mother's blessings that I can do this. So let okay. me do this for a month. That was the plan to just do it for a month. I think what happened was absolutely brilliant because in that one month I've scrubbed the machinery. I have man I managed the till. I learned for the first time ever in my life how to chop vegetables finely, mm. uh, the juleps and the dice and how to mix ketchup and all of that. And traveling in buses, which I hadn't done before. Mm. School is very different from a local bus. Yes. I think the equalizer that it was where we were so used to being served as customers. My dad was a, you know, a Rotarian. So when you're a member of the Rotary Club, you're going to the finest hotels for dinners and mm. parties, etc. 
we were so used to being served. I had never imagined I would be working at a counter and serving people, and mm. uh, you know, like a bus cleaning tables. And I did that for an entire month. I think what I learned was a lesson in humility, mm. and uh, I where the transformation began that no job is too small because yes. everyone works tremendously hard to yeah. earn their living so, so. I, th- I think that was an eye opener for me that is incredible i guess tanya you know you it need takes a lot of courage to do something like this as well because uh, you know we all have those moments uh, where uh, we get a little shocked in our life and you know i really give credit to your father as well who made this moment in your life in some way when he said no why 100 rupees because you know that shock is needed sometimes and we all get that some accept the challenge some do not accept the challenge and you know you know it's very easy to feel bad about it yaar ye kya mere papa to kanjus hai he does not give me any money we can think like that as well right but choosing that option going all the way doing it is power and you know uh, you did it very early in your life that's how you see success coming in some sort and you understand that you know i can do it these these things are like absolutely possible uh, so i i let me kind of uh, and this is something i really wanted to ask you tanya because uh, i i know a lot of storytellers and i I'm, i'm coming to the subject right now you know the storytelling subject we all understand stories are important and we have been listening to that but you know when i was kind of reading uh, your uh, introduction uh, in the linkedin and different places you do so much variety of work like work storytelling data stories product and all of these varieties so very it's it's very detailed it's much more than just stories so let me ask you a storyteller why stories why stories because because stories are the soul of everything that we do that we exist for even the purpose that we have in our life is a story that we tell ourselves mm. when we follow someone else's vision it's somebody else's story that we buy into and we you know get carried away with their purpose in life it could be one leader it could be the goal or the vision of an organization that we attach ourselves to but everything exists because of stories and honestly at the end of the day it's the person who tells the better story who wins because everybody could be doing phenomenal amount of work and mm. really good work which may be very very uh, similar to the other yeah. but still one person stands out from the other because that one person may just have mastered the art of seeing what they say a little differently mm. and in a way that it connects people that it makes them unforgettable and they can be so awe inspiring mm. so that's why stories wow that's amazing i think a very new way to look into the story side of it and i think a lot of people will learn from this video about that whole curiosity about why stories because you know lately storytelling is really getting uh, that uh, uh, that light which it was needing you know uh, it, it was not that popular as a keyword but yes uh, we can see storytellers the companies are uh, built on storytelling and that all is happening but let me ask you uh, in a work life scenario there are moments where you have to present data you have to go uh, with numbers especially in a sales scenario i've been into sales for many years and i still have to kind of tell myself how would i tell a story when i have to give a data point so how do you do that as in how is it done so of course it's a full flesh program that you might have to attend to learn all okay. the tricks of the trade but okay. but to let you see 
secret. The whole concept of data story is that, you know, when you look at just numbers in isolation, numbers never contextualize anything. Hmm. A number stands it's raw and uh, it's unappealing. But a number becomes meaningful when there is a context that the number is placed in. Uh, typically, when we have a chart that we put up for people to see and mm -hmm. we highlight a certain number, circle it or we highlight it in red, green or yellow or any other color that makes our fancy outside of these three, uh, we want to draw people's attention and mm -hmm. a lot of times people still lose the thread of why this number is where it is, mm -hmm. what, what happened to make it possible or who does this number represent, who are the people who this number represents. Um, so sometimes we miss out on talking about what that number is representative of yeah. and what this means for us. How do we use this number or take an insight from it to take decisions mm -hmm. in the future? Because when we when we share data, we share data with uh, you know with, an, with the thought in mind that we want to inspire action or we yes. want to nudge people to take Correct. a decision, yeah. and we don't mean numbers um, on the screen without really contextualizing. So data storytelling has uh, aspects of really wrap the data into a story or uncover the story which is hidden inside the number itself. Plus how can you use different visualization techniques so okay. that it it can be seen more graphic and it can be yeah, yeah absolutely very true i guess now i can see where, where it is coming from and what it means because uh it happened with me you know uh, i i went to a couple of uh, months back maybe a year back i was supposed to give a presentation to a very large uh, travel company about facilitation and team engagement and all so i went there uh, all prepared and there was a big boardroom it was post lunch meeting at around 2 30 3 o'clock and they pulled in quite some people like 10 of the representatives were there in the room uh, and uh, we started with the candid conversation and I said okay I'll show you some slides uh, about uh, uh, what we do and I started so you know just to get the clarity of the slide deck they turned off few lights in the room and I started with uh, how many years we are in business and how many cities we serve and stuff like that it was just 30 seconds to 45 seconds of my speaking and I turned back to the audience and I saw five faces with eyes closed five of them already were about to sleep and i like oh my god i don't want to say any further uh, the way i'm kind of proceeding it is really deadly because they won't be even listening to me so i use experiential learning i said okay guys lights on slides off let's get up and do some action so i use my experiential learning stuff to get that started and we started with a story we, we can give a scenario that imagine your uh, guests are from the inbound guests from some different country as going to a city. Uh, they want to see the city, but in a different way, we can do it. We can gamify that city sightseeing. Oh, we have an inquiry. Then the things changed when the context came in and, uh, you know, the data slides were out of the show. So it's great help, I guess, uh, using stories uh, to tell that. Uh, something that you said which is very very important and relevant here is Alok, a lot of times we keep uh, harping about the my story and the I story mm. and um, and that happens a lot. 
sales conversations for when you have to uh, acquire a new client or yes. we have to upsell to a new client and we we go all or all out with our own glorified stories of my story what yeah. i do what my company does what my people do and we are just so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't see beyond as to who's sitting opposite me and how does my world mm. merge with theirs what is it that i do or provide which might be of help or need to the others and uh, which is where storytelling helps because if done right you can embrace the other person bring them into the fold yeah. and you say that you know my story will fit right in but let exactly. me first understand or tell you how, how i've been able to understand the context of your world view and for that understanding their world view telling them the story of what you know of their uh, mm. life and their world is and then easing into your own story so there are of course you know uh, just like a good paragraph or a good novel or a good movie there's a start there's a middle and there's a finish even for a business story how do you start how do you package your story in the middle and how do you end there's uh, of course a structure because frameworks and structures always make it uh, easy palpable yes. digestible yes so those become very important and no wonder why your stories look so captivating because i guess you use those structures when you tell the stories and it's it's very very important for all of us to learn that and i and i guess if if there are sales people who are listening to this conversation i must tell you i've spent a significant amount of times doing sales guys there are four five slides in the beginning which are all about data points please don't do that please bring the audience to your world view as tanya just suggested then set the context and then tell the then tell tell about your features of course you share your features and benefits but not in the beginning that will get you tell not get you the what you're looking for definitely so tanya when did you realize that you are cut out for training and facilitation or storytelling when did this realization came to you uh it started way back in time i must have been what 6 or 7 years old and um i figured i wanted to be a teacher i had an or you know an imaginary class that would be in progress once i would get back home i used to have a portable blackboard you know the one at the back with the wooden uh, you know holders or whatever so that there was a portable blackboard that i would drag and put in the dining room because that was one space one place where there was a lot of space Mm -hmm. and i would roll out a colored mat the woven mat which is typically called a chatai in hindi mm -hmm. so a colored mat we had that i would spread out and i had my 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 colored chalks and a duster and i would just go on teaching a class and of course i don't have a recollection of all this these are memories that my mother has shared with me okay. and she told me i grew up that one day my class was in progress and i was teaching my class with so much of deep interest and i was mid sentence when my mother had to run across that mat to go into the kitchen to <laughs> switch off the gas i okay. think there was a leak on the gas which had to promptly be closed uh, you know had to be switched off and while she turned off the gas i was in shock and i was deeply hurt that she would trample over my kids and i screamed at her and i howled and she said what happened i was inconsolable finally in between my hiccups 
I got it out and I said, you, uh, you know, you trampled my kids and I said it in Hindi and I said, you have given my children to Oh my Which God. You <laughs> they are squashed to pulp. That's <laughs> what I wanted to say. And she said, which kids? I said, my class was going on. And she laughed and that hurt me even more that she thought it was funny. Yeah. I speak to her all but after that, um, she never made that mistake and everybody started respecting my boundaries and my class so they wouldn't <laughs> disturb me. But I think I knew it very early in life that I think I, I wanted to, to be a teacher. But maybe it was a pr pr profession that everybody dreamt of when we mm. were kids because we didn't have the awareness, right? We didn't have Disney to fill our heads with, you know, with so many other... Uh, opportunities yeah. which present themselves for children now my daughter has already thought of three four different professions that she wants to get into Seriously. but yeah. <laughs> wow wow this is really a very early start and and great to identify that you know that that love which started very early should be carried forward and i'm so happy that you're doing that Tanya, uh, you know, uh, th there's so many things which you have done and uh, about stories, about, uh, uh, you know, you switch over from completely from facilitation. So how did that transition happen? Because for many years, and I was looking through your uh, LinkedIn profile actually yesterday. So I saw many years you spent in facilitation, uh, which was about training and facilitation. So uh, when did the first entrance of storytelling came into your life? Uh, my paths crossed Amins, who's the founder of Storyvalas, the company that I work with now. So I was conducting, I had just finished a half day workshop um, at a leading IT company, which has their R&D center in Hyderabad. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I was doing a workshop here in Bangalore for them. They have an office, they had an office on Lavelle Road, now they've moved. Okay. Uh, but I program there in you know before lunch and um, I was terribly hungry I wanted to eat something before I headed off Bangalore traffic is of course very unpopular you could be stuck for hours so while I was grabbing lunch with my participants I saw that you know uh, the multi-purpose halls were being opened up so one of the rooms where I was training uh, was, was, was lots of hundreds of chairs which were being put and I asked my you know, my participants that I was having lunch with, I said, what's going on? Is there an event taking place? They said, Amin Haq is coming. Okay. I said, who's Amin Like a celebrity, am I supposed to know him? They said, he's a storyteller, a business storyteller. He's coming for a keynote session today. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was supposed to address so many people. And I'm one of those, um, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Alok, that as facilitators, we don't really get visibility to what others are doing unless yes. invited. Or you pay for it and exactly. those open sessions also don't happen now they're happening much more because of the virtual setup mm -hmm. but uh, it's you know it's always intriguing what is it that other people are doing which is interesting fun um it refreshes things for you right yep so i asked them if i could just now that i was at the venue anyway they said yeah i have just come sit and I'm, one of, and I'm one of those people who just doesn't take something for free. I say, if you're giving it to me for free, give me two. So <laughs> I went and I sat. So I took the front row seat and okay. I made eye contact with him while, I was, while he was talking. And I attended that 90 minute session. It was super good. Uh, the lady from HR uh, who was also present there introduced us. We exchanged numbers. But when I heard him, when I saw what he did, and in mm -hmm. that 90 minutes, I was 
supremely captivated and uh, it was so much fun and um, I said to myself this is good and I want to experience it mm -hmm. uh, and incidentally because we had been introduced and um, the lady from HR spoke good things about me to I mean because I've been working for over four years for that client okay. until then and doing a lot of so there was good feedback that followed. Mm -hmm. I think there's also something very uh, interesting about the way that we met. You know, when you meet someone at a wine dinner or you meet someone uh, at someone else's social do, yeah. you still don't really know how people are professionally because you're yes. meeting them in a social setting. I think what worked really uh, for us was the fact that we met in a in a professional setup. The mm -hmm. client had good things to say. I mean, wanted to. You know, synergy if we could work together, and um, we tried to match our calendars. Struggled for a few months, just couldn't uh, see each other's work after that. But we did make it happen eventually. Mm -hmm. So I think that taster that I got of what he did and the magic mm -hmm. that storytelling could create stayed with me, and we kept trying and attempting to see mm -hmm. each other's work. We could uh, work together, and and we did eventually. I've just completed. Um, two years with Storywala, so of course there's a lot of water which has flown under the, you know, uh, gone under the bridge by now. But um, but it's been an, a, a tremendous journey, and I think I have done work alone that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Like wow. I don't see myself, being, uh, you know, doing a lot of social sector work, uh, but I do that now and people tell the impact stories to, to talk about their beneficiary stories um, their volunteer stories and I think that that brings a lot of satisfaction you know when you work with the United Nations volunteers and so uh, with, with organizations absolutely so there are some really uh, good work which is being done the impact work mm -hmm. and uh, I thoroughly enjoy that well so, and I, I don't think I would have done it otherwise had I just and and that, that's that's the beauty of life, you know. It come it brings you in front of situations which are meant to change your ways and pivot your lifestyle completely. So that one incident that you noticed why this conference is happening, and you had the curiosity to ask who is coming, uh, all that matter to you bring you into this world. That's amazing. This is incredible work. So let me ask you my next question, which is around. I really want to know now that what are you doing now? How how are you serving people? And what are some of your dreams and aspirations, Tanya? Oh, okay. Uh, what I'm doing now, largely uh, three areas of work. One mm -hmm. is, of course, impact storytelling. So working with social sector organizations and helping them tell the better version of their stories because they have to raise uh, funds and donations. Um, I do a lot of work uh, with, of course, corporates, working very closely with leaders. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of one-to-one -one coaching that happens um, because it's one thing to be part of a workshop or an online course, like a virtual course, the way that we are delivering it now in this mm -hmm. model. So people end up doing a lot of group work and individual work. And yet, when it comes to delivering a good story or being inspiring, it takes some effort and some fine-tuning. And each one of us have, have our own unique ticks. You know, and our own unique um, uh, ways, uh, which could be honed, you know, polished, mm -hmm. and uh, which is why. So there's a lot of that happening. So while corporate storytelling continues, in you know, uh, storytelling for for helping leaders become inspiring leaders, 
Um, and the third kind of work that, that I'm doing is, uh, is in the you know, startup space and innovation space. So we have a lot of clients who have uh, you know, great innovations. They want to, like in Shark Tank-like events, yeah. they want people who are innovators to be able to present their story better. So, so we do a short workshop and then um, help them with their stories and to get their pitch decks right. Uh, because they have to seek um, investment from the organization and backing their idea. There's also startups that we work with um, mm -hmm. and uh, help founders and co-founders get their pitch story right. And I love performance storytelling. There haven't been as many opportunities though, Alok, which is why I used LinkedIn as a platform to tell those Z stories and Sufi stories and connect yeah. them to life. And uh, key takeaways, I enjoy performance storytelling as well for grown-ups and adults. And I used to do that uh, to some extent earlier because Bangalore has a lovely storytelling scene. Um, okay. Not as much now. But, uh, yeah, but that's something that I want to do more of because you asked about my aspiration. That's one space that I want to do more work. Once wow, the world wonderful. Opens. Yeah, of course. And so have you been to open mics as well, uh, doing storytelling? Because I think there are a lot of open mics uh, in Bangalore as well? I know not that. I don't think I have the, the confidence or the courage for it. Um, okay. so for all the facilitation experience and confidence of running a workshop or telling stories in an intimate setting to people where it's a pre-designated event and I am probably mm -hmm. the only storyteller there, it's fine. But this is too much pressure, open mic <laughs> I'm not cut out for that. I'm too shy for that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Very contrast kind of career you have because you have to speak up, uh, of course, for the workshops and all. Because I, because why I'm asking, because I went uh, to a couple of open mics for my poetry. I write some poems and uh, I saw some storytellers there as well uh, in Gurgaon <coughs> before coronavirus, of course. So how so. is that do you feel any kind of pressure when you are uh, when you are at an open mic night? How how has that experience been for you? Yeah, so I guess for the open mics, uh, there are two kind of uh, you know com compositions I normally share. One that has been with me for like twenty years now. Now I remember those poems in back of my mind. So I know that the content I don't need to refer anything. I don't need a paper in my hand, and I'm very relaxed when I'm kind of sharing that. It's completely from my Heart. If it is a new composition, if it is something very, very newly created and I need to refer, I feel it a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm not in my complete elements at that point of time. I, you, if you ask me, I don't want to see a script at all when I'm speaking. And most of my videos which I do, I don't write a script. Uh, and those who have, where I've written a script, I've messed up. Nobody knows about it because uh, I, of course, edit it and then redo it and redo it and all of that. But I do a lot of takes when I write it down. But if I just noted some points, I thought about it for a day and I am all on my own, I'm free to speak, works for me. So yeah, so I have a kind of a mix of experience for open mics. But you know, the best part about open mic is that I, I and the best part about stage is that uh, they, the setups are normally I have been to have been uh, uh, quite well lit. So the light is on you and the audience is in dark. So all you see is darkness in front of you. You feel like you're talking to something like a mirror and makes it easier. Of course, I hear you. Yeah, so you <laughs> don't feel un, you know, too uh, unsettled and conscious then. 
Correct. Also, one thing um, I feel, Tanya, because I started a stage very early in my life because I was doing theater and different things. And I learned from um, a guru uh, about this uh, whole side of uh, being on stage that uh, till the time you feel that you will be judged, you will feel uncomfortable. Uh, why? Because you will start comparing about the person who just came in from before you or somebody who's going to be after you, who, how they performed and all. However, what we communicate is mostly with humans and they like original people. They like the way you are, the way you speak. The moment we reach that point and that we are speaking you know, by our own completely free and bindas, people love it. You just don't need to prepare also. It's like, it goes like that. A little bit that worked for me. You're so right about that, Alok. You know, it's like a gem that you have just shared. The fact that I think we are so consumed with ourselves and extremely and self-conscious. But um, people love originality and our original voices. I think the way the day that we start mimic, mimicking each other and become clones of each other, it's going to be so dull and boring. Yes. So. Yes. Um, Yes, absolutely. So contrast helps. So it's good if you are different from the previous speaker. Yes, in fact, I was listening to uh, Ankur Bariko video one day and he was speaking uh, uh, for something and this word vulnerability came and he messed up that word five times, something like that. It's a difficult word to say and nobody edited that part. <laughs> People laughed at it. You know, it's real. It's original. We all do that. There are some, I, I, I hate viscosity and vulnerability. I never say it correctly in one go. So, you know, just be there, just be as vulnerable as possible. It's okay. That works, I guess. So great. So this is like an, yeah. No, I'm just saying it's interesting that you mentioned uh, uh, Ankur. I can't say his last name correctly ever. Is it Variku? Variku, yeah. Yeah, I so I've seen his videos way back, you know, and uh, he used to post these short snippets, experiences, extremely inspiring as a speaker. Uh, because you mentioned that maybe my stories inspired you. There's one person whose short snippets I loved to watch. That was uh, Ankur's, and then of course he stopped featuring on LinkedIn altogether. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw him recently now i think there is uh, some uh, some online learning platform where he's showing up again but you know it's it's interesting how there are some people who have a very unique way of speaking yeah. and they're so passionate about what they speak and it's not made up it's not painted polished and hmm. made up uh, right. that that it speaks to your soul i really enjoy watching his video fantastic speaker he is of course he is indeed uh, he must be getting hiccups right now. I'll tag him in my post that, you know, we spoke about you. So <laughs> Great. So uh, we have, we, this is a wonderful conversation, Tanya, and uh, you've been very, very open and candid in sharing your story. But you know what? I should not let you go without listening a story from you. Maybe a Zen, maybe a Sufi. I don't know. But we should end this session with a small story that has been the most inspiring story personally for you in your, from your library of stories? So there is one story that I have uh, enjoyed a lot telling. I think if, if there are people who have uh, attended my workshops, many of them would connect with this story because I would have ended practically 
80% of my workshops with this story and I would love to tell that uh, because I don't think I've told that enough in the virtual space. It's mm -hmm. so much better when I do and it's one story which is my soul story and I truly believe that there are some stories which are meant for you and they speak to your soul so this is my soul story that I'm going to share with you now and it's a Zen story and okay. I heard it many many years ago so once there was a Zen master who was about 82 years old he lived in a monastery full of middle-aged young uh, and uh, some little monks and in this monastery, which was atop a hill, there was a little monk who was about seven years old. Now, this little monk was as notorious, as, as naughty as mm -hmm. little monks are. So when in the morning the session would be on, the learning session of question and answers, deliberating about the meaning of life, relationship, etc. And everybody would be gathered around the Zen master, listening and asking, listening to him and asking him questions. This little monk was very interested in uh, running after that, uh, that squirrel that would have a nut in its mouth and would be looking for a crevice to go and deposit it. He wanted to catch the cat that would climb over the wall and into the tree and get dis you know and just disappear. He was more interested in uh, catching the birds that would have flown into the foyer where the seeds would have been strewn in the morning. And he would barely ever sit down. So all the other monks would keep calling out to this little monk and saying, little monk, don't do that, little monk, don't do that, little monk, sit down, little monk, yes, no, little monk, little monk. Now the little monk had had enough and he thought to himself, yes, I am little, but I am as much a monk as everybody else. I have shaved my head and I'm wearing this orange robe and people have to just stop fussing over me as much. And I need to gain their respect. The only way he knew how to gain their respect was to uh, show that he was as smart as the Zen master, if not smarter. But okay. wouldn't it be better if he just outsmart the Zen master? So he sat down to devise a plan. Took him mm -hmm. about a week and he had a foolproof plan made. Okay. The plan was, the plan was to get a bird and hide it behind him when the session would be in progress. And he was going to ask the Zen master a question for which the Zen master would have to give the right answer. The question would be that Zen master, I have a bird in my hands that I'm hiding behind me. And please do tell, is the bird dead or alive? And if the Zen master said that the bird was dead, then he would make the bird fly in all its glory and if the Zen master said that the bird were alive, then he would wring the bird's neck and show the dead bird. One way or another, the Zen master would not be able to give the right answer. Hmm. The plan So very excitedly, he ran down 108 steps from the monastery down the hill to the nearest village, found a beautiful white dove, hid it in the four of his robe and he climbed up 108 steps huffing and puffing went straight into his room and hid the bird under the bed and covered it with a really big sheet ran to the kitchen got a small bowl of seeds and a small bowl of bowl of water shoved it under the bed and locked the room mm -hmm. so that nobody covers the bird 
all day he did his chores uh, as asked he read his scriptures he wrote stuff down he chanted everything that he had to do he did flawlessly that day at night he could barely sleep with excitement he tossed and turned just imagining the faces of all the monks when he outsmarts the zen master he could barely wait first light in the morning the little monk was awake took his bath, wore a fresh robe, and he sat down for the morning lesson. Mm -hmm. But the lesson had barely started when he slipped away. People were very used to him slipping away, so nobody took notice. But when he came back, he stood right at the back against the pillar with his hands at the back, and he wouldn't move a muscle. Now, all the monks sitting uh, and gathered around the Zen master were supremely yeah. distracted. They came back at him and then you know again at the zen master the zen master realized that today the lesson would not be able to go on without a hitch because everybody was distracted by the little monk mm -hmm. so he called out to the little monk and he said well little monk do you have a question to ask or something to say because it seems like you have something on your mind this is exactly the moment that little monk was waiting for waiting for so his hand still he took two steps forward and he asked the monk with as much pride as he could. And he said, well, Zen Master, I have a bird in my hands. Do tell, is it dead or alive? And then he waited. The Zen Master didn't say a word. He smiled and he kept looking at this little monk tenderly. Mm -hmm. Now, the little monk got a little confused. He thought to himself, is the Zen Master on? to me does he know that I have a bird in my hand that's alive maybe somebody's seen it no no I'm overthinking it he put his chin up again his chest out and asked again well Zen master do tell is the bird dead or alive the Zen master looked at him kindly he smiled and he said well little monk what's in your hands is in your hands wow what do you think this that means what's in your hands is in your it means that it's in your hand and it's completely up to you what you do about it, right? Absolutely. Our lives too are in our hands. What we do with every opportunity that comes to us, whether we kill it or we mm. fly away with it, yes. depends on us. So beautiful, amazing, Tanya. I think this is an incredible story. Yes, we all have opportunities in our hands. We kill it or we make it fly is always a choice. And with everything else, there's always a choice which we have. Thank you for sharing this story and thank you for sharing your story. It is truly inspiring. I hope somebody definitely learns from your story today. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was lovely having you on the show. Right. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I wish you all the best, Alok. May you keep spreading the joy and magic by uh, meeting more transformers bringing people onto your show it's been such a delight to see your work thank you thanks a lot thanks a lot for joining tanya thank you